0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, this is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books in Political Science podcast. Today I'm joined by three editors of Globalizing Political Theory, which was published in 2023 by Rutledge Press. The editors include Smita Raman, Catherine Gordy, and Sharin Dalami, and they are going to talk to us about this amazing book. This is a really interesting and important understanding and thinking about political theory um, and, you know, some of the the sort of boxes in which we are often thinking about political theory. This book is really pressing on us to consider and reconsider how we understand political theory, the concepts therein, and, and who who and what we're talking about, but I'm going to let my authors tell us a little bit about that as we go along. Um, I'd like to welcome Shirin, Smita, and Kate to the New Books in Political Science podcast, and I'd like to ask you each to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to this really fascinating Project. I think we're going to start with
2: Smita. Okay. Hi, um, I'm Smita Rahman. I am the uh, Johnson Family University Professor of Political Science at DePaul University, where I teach courses in... Um, modern, contemporary, and Islamic political theory. And I also have uh, an interest in uh, politics and popular culture as well and teach some courses in that area. Um, I think we've all known each other for over a decade, probably going on about 15 years. And I think we've all been involved in the growing subfield of comparative political theory um, during that course of time. And so we've overlapped at panels and at conferences um, and had many conversations over the years and happy hours and all of that. Um, and I think the way in which we all kind of came together, and I can get into this a little bit more later, is I think there was there were various, um, I think we... F- Kate and I were initially approached for one project we decided not to do. And then Rutledge was really interested in putting together a teaching-centered volume. Um, And Kate and Shirin were the first people I thought of collaborating with and super excited when they both decided to work with me on this. Thanks. Kate, I'm gonna turn to you next. Uh, Kate Gordy.
3: I teach political theory in the political science department at San Francisco State University. I teach political theory generally uh, with a focus on Latin American political thought, critical theory. I'm interested in theories of political economy. And I also have an area of focus, which is Cuba. Cool.
1: Um, and Shirin, you are next up.
3: Hi, um, I'm Sharon
0: DeLamy. I'm a professor of political science and uh, women, gender and sexuality studies at Western Washington University. Um, I mostly teach in the area of contemporary political theory. I teach um, kind of at, well, my interests are at the intersection Um, historically, I've been at the intersection of gender, sexuality, and Islam. But I teach courses in feminist theory, um, neoliberalism, and um, I also teach uh, courses in um, uh, kind of Islam in the West.
2: Um,
0: And I'm just, I wanted to say thank you for inviting me. This is great.
1: Um, I'm, I'm glad to have the three of you on today to talk about this really fascinating book, but I wanted to get a little bit deeper into the origin story besides the fact that, that Rut, Rutledge had an interest in a teaching-centered volume, um, in part because the introduction really tells us a lot about the narrowness of the perceptions and understanding of political theory and the book is definitely trying to break through some of those boundaries so I'm I think I'm going to turn to Mita first and ask her to lead us in in the you know as we talk about superheroes the origin story right
2: (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah I you know it's It's one of those things that I think had kind of been in the air for a while. Um, And so, yes, it did come to me. Um, I was talking to my former editor at Legend. She had mentioned this over the course of a few years. Oh, I really would love something. You know, we're really interested in maybe doing a textbook, a teaching centered comparative political theory book. And I heard this once or twice and just I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure that was something I wanted to be involved in because a there are great books out there already right in that area and people have done fantastic work on it but i think also over the course of teaching like i teach a course in islamic political thought and i've been teaching it for about 15 years at depaul i had also gotten i think a little bit frustrated with the term comparative political theory. And so that kind of um, accounted for some of my initial resistance. It didn't seem to quite capture to me the kind of vital work of theorizing in this space that I thought was so important for us to teach and for us to practice. Um, So when I started to think about, oh, is this something I even wanna take on or do, the first two people that came to mind were Sharon and Kate. Um, we have been on so many, we've been on panels together. We've had so many conversations of the over the years and just kind of saw them as like-minded travelers. And so I think we really started these conversations. I want to say, and I'm gonna invite Kate and Sharon to jump in here in a minute, but I think we really started these conversations during the pandemic. And I was a thrilled they wanted to, initiate a discussion on this i was be really excited to just to be able to talk to my friends and then i think c as we started to really get into the meat of do we want to do this what's our approach going to be i think some some of our ideas really became clear about how we wanted to approach the book and specifically why we wanted to call it not comparative not global but globalizing political theory um so i'll you know i'll turn it over to the others to speak on this do you want to uh
3: yeah i think it's i want to appreciate the um the fact that that we were chosen to do the volume and i think it did end up just being a really nice collective experience I didn't anticipate how nice a collective experience it was. It was a really nice balance of personalities and approaches to work and focuses. Uh, and so it, it made me want to do edited volumes again. And I know sometimes that's not the case. And then I wanted to add, yeah, I think we shared an ambivalence about comparative political theory, which had become this sort of catch-all phrase for anybody doing political theory that was non-Western, or I prefer the term non-European since I work on you know the global South. And so it seemed kind of broad, but at the same time, there were all these debates emerging about CPT comparative political theory and what was the proper method. And I think we were all a little bit frustrated with some of those discussions as well. So that was, a, that was common ground. And then we did have a lot of conversations in which we tried to figure out, well, where are we going to fit into this already very broad, large literature on comparative political theory with excellent volumes and edited uh, collections? And we came up with a common ground where we were interested in really the local and the ways that comparison ended up placing primacy on existing debates within political theory, on generalization, on universalizing. And we really wanted to uh, look at how local debates inform political theory more generally, that all political theory is actually about specific political problems uh, that then become generalized. And um, I think we also shared, yeah, a, a frustration with existing CPT and wanted to find a different vocabulary and way into dealing with some of those same issues.
0: Yeah, I, just to add, I think, I mean, I, I echo everything Smita and Kate have said. I think too. I I think too. One of the uh, things that really appealed to me in terms of coming in and doing this project was, you know, I I went to gr- we we all went to grad school around the same time. And um, we were some of, you know, the kind of at the time, you know, people who were coming out of grad programs who were sort of making our way on our own because our advisors didn't do work Um Outside of uh, the, the Western canon, um, and they might have been very supportive. At least in my case, mine was very supportive, but was sort of like you know I was kind of on my own. And then when I started teaching, which I I don't know if you all feel this way, but teaching was like grad. Sc- the first couple of years of teaching was like I learned more in those two three years than I did in all of grad school because suddenly. I had to explain all the the stuff to to young students, and one of the things that um really appealed to me was, you know, I really have wanted to expand how I teach some of my courses, and I have an expertise. I I mostly work in Islamic political thought, but I I mean in fairly narrow ways. I mostly work in Shia Persian Islamic political thought. Um, I have some knowledge of kind of the major thinkers. Kind of contemporary thinkers, but I really wanted to to think about how would I incorporate, I don't know, Chinese political thought or Latin American political thought when I don't have that expertise, and I didn't want to do the thing where I just show up and pretend like there's no context, right? And um, I didn't, you know, I don't know the history well, and I just we we're just gonna look at the text and. When we all came together, I think that was something that really motivated us was, um, one, I'll say I learned so much from these contributors. They like so much. Every chapter was just like amazing in terms of um, increasing my knowledge. But I also sort of wanted, I came in really thinking, how would, students and other faculty use this who don't have this expertise but really want to expand how they're thinking about political theory in general and so um that's sort of you know uh, that was a real motivation for me as as we were working on this project
2: Yeah, I think one thing I wanted to add to just echo what Shirin was saying, I think it became very clear to all three of us early on in the process, right, that there is no way that the three of us could just author this entire thing, right, just precisely for the reasons Shirin is saying and just because there's so much cool work out there right now. And so one of the real joys of this volume was um, getting together this sort of wonderful list of contributors, some of whom I knew from conferences um, and just professionally, others who have gotten to meet and gotten to know their work over the last few years. Um, And so it was just really, really exciting because, you know, like, like Sharon, you know, I work in a fairly narrow area as well, like most of my research is in contemporary political theory. I've always taught Islamic political thought as a kind of secondary um, interest. Like I was really fortunate as an undergrad that... um, And Norton was teaching a class on Muslim political thought that I got to take as a junior in college, you know. So I got exposed to it kind of early on, but the rest of it, like Shirin, really kind of self-taught. And I focused in the areas of political Islam. And so, you know, to read about, like, the Sikh community, um, you know, to learn more um, about a range of thinkers, um, you know, it just was really, really exciting um, to encounter all of this cool work that's happening in the field right now.
1: And, and so um, I want to call on Kate, who has something that um, she wants to contribute uh, to the conversation. Except that it's not coming through at the moment. Um, so I'm going to circle back around, um, in a minute. Um, but I did want to pull on a thread that you all, uh, sort of started to talk about with regard to this question of localism, um, and, and the positioning of political theory in, in sort of local context, historically, um, grounded context, um, um, and uh, and and so I, I did want to sort of bring in this conversation because this is also one of the novel components of what you're discussing in the book in general. Um, and so I'm going to start with Smita, um, and then I will turn to Kate.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things we came to the table with. Fairly quickly when we started thinking about how we wanted to approach this book is I think we all kind of shared the notion that we saw globalizing political theory as deeply embedded in local networks of power identity and structure right and so we really wanted to examine how this engagement with this kind of immersion in local politics converged and kind of diverged with the global right and uh, one of the things obviously that an emphasis on the local does is it moves us away from the universal right and it allows us to kind of decenter theory but also what it means to be a theorist right that it also means attending to movements and to grassroots politics and the way in which those both generate theory but are also informed by theory. So I think one of the things we really wanted to try and do was to restore some of the vitality to theory as a way to see the world, right, and as a kind of meaning-making practice that's active in the world around us. Kate? Kate?
3: Yeah. And in, in terms of this focus on the local, I think another important aspect of that is that we didn't want to simply reproduce a non-Western canon or a non-European canyon, canon. Uh, and so the local was one way to do that so that we were... Perhaps taking a figure that people might know of who weren't necessarily familiar with that country or with that geography, but that name, partly because of the rise of CPT in the past 30 years or more, were aware of, but not reproduce this canonical approach to them and instead situate them not just in their history, but also in specific political debates so that we would see how their ideas came out of conversation with other people and not just in this vacuum of brilliance and genius about political thought. So that was another really important part about the local, right, is to say here's these people whose names we know who've become sort of canonical in this project of expanding the canon, and yet we're reproducing the problem by treating them as these individual geniuses or these individual thinkers who were operating in conversation with themselves or with this canon and, 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 and instead recognized that they were in conversation with other people. And then also sometimes these now canonical thinkers were wrong or they changed their views or they were informed by people who we now don't know about or who, whose ideas we don't read about. And so that it was the product of debate and, 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 and about real world events and, and conversation.
1: Yeah, and and again, I thought I I think that this is so fascinating as a political theorist because of course the the canon is so embedded and so and so s- static. It's as as you talk about, it's not vital in in a particular in terms of movement um, and understanding, uh, but it also is supposedly providing us with universal understandings of. Political thought, so I wanted to move in the in that direction in terms of thinking about how um, globalizing political theory, the text, and a lot of the work therein, is really helping us us as thinkers, um, also as teachers um, who teach political theory, uh, to understand a complex world. I'll go, I'll
0: go, <laughs> sure. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I think, if you look through the chapters, they're, you know, we organize them by themes, um, but the themes are fairly broad in order to sort of, I think, help sort of shape how, you know, people read the book. But when, when you look at it, I think you'll look at different chapters and see how rooted in history all of these chapters are. Right, like we really asked the authors to provide a lot of context, not just about the thinkers that they're writing about, but also about um, about what the debates were at the time, what the what kind of upheaval might have been going on at the time. You can look, for example, like something like um, Peng Yu's chapter, right, where um, he really works through. How activists in Hong Kong engaged in theory, but also sort of reimagined certain kinds of theoretical positions um, and what that contribution is. Um, one of the things that I think really resonated with me with what Kate just said is that so many times we see like these thinkers and these writings as static, right? Like we just look at the text, um, but we don't see how those ideas might have changed over time, might have been augmented over time, might have been taken up or or rejected over time. And so one of the things we really wanted to do is to get this really broad and not full. It can't be full, right? Like there, my hope is that more things like this come out, right? But broad sort of understanding of all of the different ways Theories been used and imagined and like reinvented right through these debates. And I think that was one of the kind of keys when you look at these chapters they're from all over the world. Some of them, even in the context of North America, but from really different perspectives than we often read about. Right. So a chapter on Du Bois and his sort of um, his uh, stance on the war for example or uh trask on sort of thinking about um hawaiian sovereignty and democracy right like all of these ways in which these these different authors have um have brought to light debates that are really important to their everyday lives but have contributed, i think contributed to a much broader understanding of some of the big key ideas that you know we think about as political theorists
2: Yeah, so like just to kind of add on to that, I think that that sort of generative, um, relationship between the local and the global was so important to us, right? And I think to pick up on something Kate had said earlier as well, I think, you know, one of the frustrations when you just focus on a European canon, right, is that when you want to bring in these other conversations, more often than not, and this is something I talk to my students about all the time, is the conversations you have occur at a table that's already been set by that canon, right? So you're having it on terms that are already established in a way that that's a time frustrating. Um, and one of the things we we did a roundtable on this book a few months ago, and one of our fantastic contributors, Vicky Shui, made this really excellent point about the kind of work that approaching globalizing theory in this way can do. And, you know, she talked about how it could actually kind of help do the important work of coalitional politics right that drawing people drawing all these ideas in in this complex global way it really kind of emphasizes the vitality and interconnectedness of people and so like in each of the thematic chapters like it might seem paradoxical that it's a globalizing volume right but we haven't divided it geographically we've done it thematically because we wanted people to be able to see you know the connections, the coalitions that kind of emerge between reading sometimes familiar thinkers in a different context or grouping them together with others who are dealing with a different set of local problems. I think Kate had something you wanted to add to that as well.
3: I just wanted to elaborate on my point, and I I appreciated actually bringing in the specific chapters to kind of illustrate these arguments a little bit better. So I just wanted to tag on to... um, Mention of the article on Du Bois because I think it exemplifies this situating and not re canonizing uh, political theorists because Du Bois has become somebody people pay attention to. And the chapter is about how Du Bois essentially gets it wrong. He supports the war and he is criticized by this Hubert Harrison, who we don't know about in general, and changes his ideas on the basis of. Um, um, well, or or softens them on the basis of of these conversations and criticisms, and and then also I think if you want to use another illustration, I think my chapter two on Che Guevara. We tend to think of Che Guevara as this great you know revolutionary war hero, and yet I wanted to talk about his writings on political economy one because he's not really known for that, and also because it was very site specific. It was very much about the Cuban revolution and the first years of the revolution. And how do you make socialism happen in a country that's underdeveloped and that is, you know, marginalized. Um, And, and, and on the one hand, he was talking to fancy Marxist political theorists, but on the other hand, he was challenging them and saying it wasn't enough to, um, to only talk at the level of the abstract, but at the same time, even as he's kind of bringing it down, I think that chapter, I can't believe I'm tooting my own horn, but but, but I think that chapter Fine. might be useful. <laughs> that chapter, for instance, in a class on Marx, where you often get students saying, yes, but how do you make this happen? What does that look like? And you're not going to get the answers from Marx. So this would be a chapter where you could kind of have a discussion about,
1: well, how do you make socialism happen? And, and so that's where I wanted to take you all next, um, because it made perfect sense to me that this was not set up regionally. Um, it, it, it made, it made a lot more sense to me because I think thematically, I think, um, that you did sort of categorize with particular eye towards ideas, um, concepts, theories, um, as well as the, the sort of historical and localizing connection. So the the book has four sections, aside from the introduction, um, colonialism and empire, gender and sexuality, religion and secularism, and Marxism, socialism, and globalization. And so I would just like you all to, to, Sorry, I got that wrong. Um, There are six sections. I was looking at it um, originally, incorrectly, sorry. Um, I will add in uh, democracy and protest and race, ethnicity, and indigeneity. Um, So I apologize for that. Six sections. um, And I just wanted to ask you all why these are the sections of the book, um, and also, you know, to some degree, how you came to think about political theory in these contexts. um I mean, some of them make obvious sense. Um, But, you know, they are different parts of some of the same kinds of questions, too. Um, And so I believe um, I'm going to start with Shirin on this one. Um, And can you take us a little bit through uh, how these these became the umbrellas for
0: the book? Sure, sure. So I, it was a sort of, um, I think we came in with some, I, I mean, we all are fairly well-versed in what's going on in, in, in political theory. And we, we came in with some ideas about what big, big things we thought would be important, but I think it was also really shaped by what the authors contributed as well. And you're absolutely right. Um, there, there are a number of chapters that could have been in, in different sections. Um, um, but, you know, we we had to make some choices in terms of how we not just, how not the, just the individual chapter would it address, but how it might speak to the other chapters in the section as well. Um, and, you know, as was pointed out, we wanted it to be, a conversation uh, along these themes, but I don't think that it's limited by those themes. Um, and I wanted to add one other thing, which is we were really committed from the outset, as Tamita pointed out, that we didn't, we weren't going to organize it via via regions, but we also really wanted to make sure that um, we brought in scholars from outside of North America as part of trying to, um, trying to kind of engage in this. And that that was a real challenge in some ways, right? Like, um, it's hard to know what you don't know. And so I think we did a lot of work trying to talk with others and get a good sense of you know, what debates were important. Um, we obviously don't cover the, you know, the entirety of the globe in our own um, in our own expertise. And so, um, you know, I think we let, the, we had some ideas about what the chapter should look like, but we really let the authors come in and bring in the ideas they, they thought were the most important based on their expertise. And I think that really shaped how we ended up Kind of organizing, so some of it I think re- did get reorganized. It di- It did. This this version of it does not look like the original version. I think that we pitched, right? Um, and I think that's good. It shouldn't, right? We tried to be really open and um, about um, reading and learning, and then and then coming, you know, trying to decide how we would organize
1: the book. Smita.
2: So one thing I wanted to add to Shirin's really important point about, you know, we really tried to get scholars that were working outside of North America to contribute to this. And this might get a little bit more into sort of the classroom teaching approach of it, so um, if that's okay. But the other thing that I think we really thought about, um, because one of one of the sort of not issues, but but concerns or questions we had as, you know, three theorists, none of whom had previously ever assigned a textbook in any of their political theory courses was when we teach, we do primary sources, right? And we do textual exegesis. And we really wanted that to be a component of um, of what this volume does Um, but we also in addition to including scholars from around the globe we wanted to expose scholars and students to a variety of primary sources now of course like in terms of like copyrights and permissions like how do you get around that one of the ways in which we tried to do that was really by you know we gave each of our contributors a, a certain format to follow and then complete freedom within that as to what they wanted to write and like shirin said shape the themes around what they were coming back with but One of the things we tried to do was to tell each and every single one of them like listen, we want you to engage with a primary text or two. And one of the ways we can kind of get around this in an edited volume is by doing um, like a spotlight on the text right like a large block quotation and so People who pick up this volume, other theorists, um, students who read it in class will get access to primary texts that are not always readily available In the United States are always necessarily readily available in translation and then get to do the work of textual exegesis on some of those um, really important sections of the text and kind of see how that activity um, occurs which I think is so important for students of theory Um, and to be able to do it with texts that are outside of the European canon as well right so just as we all move towards trying to be more inclusive in our citations and in our own work to really kind of model that work of being inclusive in terms of the primary texts we engage with across the globe
3: Kate I'll just add in terms of our attempts to include authors from outside the United States it was challenging and I think it was easier to include authors who are from outside the United States, but at U.S. institutions than it was to include authors who are not from the United States, but also not in U.S. institutions. And we were lucky to have a colleague who is North American, uh, who got a job in Brazil, who put us in touch with some Brazilian authors, which just speaks to the power of these networks and kind of um, the but also the limitations right sometimes the limitations and the challenges of really the real institutional geographic challenges of really broadening who's included in these kinds of canons but also translation we couldn't we didn't have the money to do translations and that limited our uh, options in in terms of um, who could be included but I think we still did a, a decent job. I, I think and you did. One last, yeah. And then one <laughs> last thing I mean, in terms of the categories. I remember when the book manuscript, when the proposal was reviewed, somebody suggested we include, what was it, justice? Or why isn't justice one of the terms? It was something. Um, and and we roundly decided, nah, we're not going to do that. But uh, it definitely was to some extent based upon what the chapters were about. and and general categories. I don't think that was a big source of debate or agonizing for us.
1: And I've, I mean, I've often found when I've worked on edited volumes that you sort of oftentimes generate the categories based on what is produced. Um, and, and you see things that you hadn't seen before by reading through the work that your authors present you with. Um and, and so I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, you had the proposal, obviously. Um, you had some ideas for how this was gonna gonna sort of go. Um, and so my question is, what surprised you as you were receiving chapters back from authors and you were reading through them?
2: Well, first of all, that people got them back to us on time. <laughs> You know, you've done edited volumes, Lily. It's like, you know, we had a fairly compressed timeline Um, and like I mentioned earlier we had given our authors like a a certain format to follow so all the chapters in the you know in the volume follow a follow the same format right they all do like primary sources and textual exegesis as I mentioned earlier they all provide some historical context right they all provide um, questions for class discussion and then they also have to provide like um, you know suggestions. Questions for further reading, um, you know, if um, students or scholars want to delve more into these particular questions. But honestly, there was just so much cool stuff, right? So my, you know, not to go into too much detail on my chapter, but I contributed to the religion and secularism section. Um, and I'm very familiar or quite familiar I would say with Islamic political thought um we have this chapter on um the oneness of God by Miss Haider um who was writing about the Sikh and the Ahmadiyya communities and you know as someone from South Asia I just like was just kind of blown away by how some of these categories between Hinduism and Islam weren't as starkly divided um When you go earlier back in the tradition and how that concept of the oneness of God really connected, um, you know, made these really profound connections between the Sikh community um, and, you know, the Ahmadiyya communities today. So that was something I was like, wow, you know, I really want to dig deeper into this next time before I teach Islamic political thought. There's just a ton more um, to learn from here. So it really opened my eyes there. Who would like to jump in next?
0: Um, i will i think the thing that surprised me the most or in in a really good way was was the chapters and there's quite a few of them that um talk about like internal debates that have influenced um thinkers it's something that i think we don't do enough of in political theory um especially you know in terms of sort of teaching political theory we often sort of teach in this kind of, maybe, maybe it's me, like, but often, you know, isolated texts and the way in which some, some of our contributors kind of brought in two thinkers that you didn't really realize had so much, you know, interaction with each other, their ideas interacted. I thought that was really, um, really exciting in terms of, you um, of uh, in terms of reading these chapters. I also was um, in a slightly different way when people compared to thinkers who maybe didn't have a lot of interaction, but you could see the really amazing kind of overlap and augmentation and renewal of certain ideas through these thinkers. I thought that was really
3: exciting as well.
1: Kate, what 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 came through for
3: you? I can't, I can't say that anything sort of surprised me. I, I, again, it was really impressive how quickly people came through with their chapters and edited them, or if they didn't, they responded to a little nudge. uh, And so that was surprising, but um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised that everything was so good. I, I didn't expect everything to be so good that we got. And it, it just being a question of kind of tweaking things here and there.
1: And and that's, I mean, that shows the strength of the book itself, is that the contributions are, in fact, all very strong and provide really different ways of thinking about political theory um, in different different contexts and I think that that is a reflection of the editors you know putting together these umbrella categories um, that you know I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought about secular secularism as a kind of separate way of thinking political theory. Um, because usually it's just, you know, oh, there's religion and then there's secularism. Um, and you all have enlightened me in terms of taking that on as a, again, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, maybe I'm showing my ignorance, probably am. Um, <laughs> so I appreciated that. Um, but I, I did, I did want to ask you since this is, um, a really, interesting, and and to some degree, you know, again, taking a a different perspective on canonical political theory um, and, you know, the white guys. um, Is this leading the three of you towards more projects together? What are you each working on separately? Um, Where are you going next? Is there going to be volume two?
2: (laughs) I think on my end, the door's definitely open (laughs) you know i mean i would love to work with these two again it was such a kind of productive collaborative experience and i think um, frankly kept me sane during the isolation of the pandemic and it was one of the nicest things i've done in my professional life um, on my end i'm just uh, i just recently finished up a manuscript that's under contract with oxford so hopefully we'll be out in a couple of years year or two um, and it's on um, honor and political imagination and it looks at the the concept of honor and it really is kind of trying to um, explore it in um political and popular culture so i look at i look at film and tv and some novels um and that but also con- kind of continuing to try to do the work of decentering what seem to be foundational concepts and trying to explore its various contingencies um but i'm also really excited to be teaching this class um so i just i was just wrapped up sabbatical i get back in the classroom next week um so i'm not doing it in the fall but i'm going to teach globalizing political theory in the spring and so i'm really really excited to take this book into the classroom. So I've been, you know, I've worked up a syllabus around it and I've really kind of dug into some of the primary sources our contributors suggested. So I'm really, really excited to see it kind of come to life in the classroom and see what my students make of it. So um, I think that's something that's gonna be a pretty standard part of my rotation going forward and hopefully will inspire some new research.
1: Cool, that sounds amazing. Sharin, what have you got for us?
0: well I, I I too would be very happy to collaborate with these two again. We had um, I think a really great time doing it, and it's just was really exciting to see the work that other people are producing. you know, I think sometimes we get stuck in our very narrow fields and so to get to read the wealth of uh, research on I, I would love to do it again. Um, I'm currently also in sabbatical. I have a weird sort of sabbatical that's going from last year to to January. So um, and I'm working on a book on the role of ugly emotions and feminist solidarity movements. Um, and, um, and, uh, of course, writing quite a bit about um, the the protests around the hijab in Iran, um, as part of that project. So um, it's exciting to kind of go back to work that I hadn't really been doing for a long time. So that's what I'm working on.
1: Sounds great. Kate, how about you? Um,
3: yeah, same on the joint project. Uh, and then I, I just came from sabbatical and I was in uh, Havana, Cuba, researching uh, a Afro-Cuban Marxist named Walterio Carbonell, um, who only has one book. Um, And I was doing a lot of archival and interview stuff. His life is somewhat complicated and mysterious, but I want to bring him into a larger project that also includes a Peruvian Marxist named Jose Carlos Mariátegui, who's perhaps more well known about the role of empirical examples in political theory and specifically when you're talking about histories and ways of thinking that have been erased or silenced or marginalized in some way. What do you do in terms of of the empirical examples and what is the relationship between the facts of them and, and the production of political theory?
1: Well all of those sound like great projects, and I'm hoping when they are books that each each of you separately and together if there is another group project will come back on the new books in political science and talk to me about them. Um, I would love to thank uh, Smida. Raman Shirin Delami and Kate Gordy Gordy, um, for joining me today. I'm just messing up everybody's name today. So we're all in this together. um, And I apologize for that. Um, Thank you for joining me to talk about globalizing political theory Uh, published by Rutledge in 2023. I assume this is available at the Rutledge Rutledge Press website um, in paperback. So that's a good deal. Um, And I would recommend it for classes and for other intellectual information. Um, And thank you, the three of you, for joining me on the New Books in Political Science podcast.
2: Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us.
1: Sure.